ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. And Sue, this Friday, August 25th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We're live on Facebook, live on YouTube, live on the IBX Media app. Give us a like and a subscribe on uh, YouTube. We're continuing to get those numbers up for our live stream interaction. You got a question, comment, anything, drop it there. Tweet at us. We'll get to it on today's show. It is a Joey Football Friday. That's what we're going to call it from now on. Joe Sampson, former ECU football player slash athlete, is back for a second week. He has not been fired yet. So Let's go. It's good to be back, right? Yeah, huge, huge day for the boys if I'm still sitting in this chair. So we made it. <laughs> we made it back. We uh, Apparently it's uh, Paint It Blue Friday. We're all wearing a different shade of blue. Philip Pilkington yeah. behind the glass, he's got blue on as well. He's producing once again. Did we uh, did we coordinate this, Philip, or w- what's going on here? I don't know, man. I was wearing my uh, Panther blue because there's a Carolina Panthers game tonight. Uh, I guess you guys just, uh, you know, sub subconsciously got the memo. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going Duke blue. You, yours is almost like a bluish greenish. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of like the blue hues, like right. the different tones in between. Yeah, yeah. I'm not much of a royal blue person in general. This is uh this is the only royal blue shirt I own, and honestly, I don't like it that much. But I, it's what I picked. <laughs> it's what I picked today. Uh, we are eight days away from kickoff, guys. Uh, eight days away from kickoff inside the big house. Uh, Gerald Green days away. Yep, Gerald uh, Green days away. Uh, posted, posted that earlier today. EC running back. He is number eight. We're continuing that countdown. And uh, you're, you're starting to get that buzz, right, Joe? Yeah. Like, uh, we'll talk about week zero here in a second. But, you know, I was out of practice this week, and, like, it was just – it was ramped up. Usually the coaches are kind of having to motivate the players and, and yell at times during mm. camp. But this week, like the players are running week, around yeah. and they're 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 jumping around having a good time. Yeah, you get excited. I mean, you know, once you get within 14 days of that first game, that you're really starting to ramp up and you get your game plan, you get your packet, and just the guys alone are like, okay, like it's time to go. Like there's no more 11 on 11, good versus good, where we're kind of beating each other up. It's time to focus on who we're playing, where we need to be, the alignments, the assignments. And for the defense we're going to talk about today, just yeah. flying around the football and, and having that innate sense to go pursue the carrier and, and go make a strip or go make a play. Yeah, so last week we, we took an in-depth look at the offense. We'll go defense today. We'll get into that in a little bit. I do want to ask you, you know, there's a lot of talk Tuesday. We had uh, media availability with Coach Houston and the coordinators mm-hmm. about kind of the the really getting the scout team up to speed. Yeah. And uh, I know you spent some time on the scout team. So like when you <laughs> when you look at you know kind of getting that assignment. All right, you're you know, you're not going to travel at least this week. Right. And so like uh or this part of the season. Mm-hmm. And coach Houston kind of talked about for a lot of the the freshmen coming in, a lot of the young guys expecting to play, it's kind of a blow to their uh to their expectations. So take us through the early days of this week. He said Tuesday was pretty sloppy. Yeah. Uh, I guess it'll it usually is, yeah. Yeah. So, Tuesday, you kind of sit down, and this is no knock on scout team players. I mean, Coach Houston will tell you they're probably more valuable than some of the guys that are sitting on the bus because you truly are the only look they have during the week to kind of get everybody up to speed. But Tuesday's hard because you're thinking you're just going to play a normal cover four, but they may play inside leverage with their corners in the slot, and all of a sudden, Donnie Kay is kind of telling you, hey, you need to be outside of this, and you're like, this is going against everything I've been fundamentally taught. So your instincts kind of kick in to play football as opposed to kind of 
follow along on the card or follow along what you saw on the tape. So Tuesday's always sloppy. That's that's not um, n- that's not not normal. Is the best way to put it, I guess, because for you to kind of go in and be a completely different football player is its own battle. So Wednesdays, they really start sharpening it up. Okay, here's what you did wrong. Here's what you did right. And then Thursdays during a game week is all about like completions or knowing where you're going to be to stop the football if you're on defense. But now with two weeks, it's really interesting because you truly do get like that run to get people to where they need to be. So if you're like, hey, we have two Tuesdays, like next Tuesday, you know what you need to do. You know the tone. And that's really what separates like week zero or week one away from any of the other short game weeks. We, uh, I, I asked Coach Houston about kind of the transition there, and you know, with the scout team, and he was like, "He's like, all right, guys, y'all are supposed to be Michigan, yeah. and, <laughs> and like, kind of tongue in cheek. Obviously, they got a long way to go because, you know, we, we don't get to see a lot of the team on team prep. But I, I was uh, parking my car when they were just working first team offense mm-hmm. against scout team in the first play was a Rajay Harris untouched touchdown. The second play was a big Mason Garcia run. The third play was a long touchdown pass to Jalen Johnson. So it looked like there was very little resistance being put up. Yeah, when it's early like that, they're kind of just, it's alignment, knowing where the ball is supposed to go. And we, we call it walkthrough. And when you're in walkthrough, you kind of just, okay, ball needs to go here. Here's what the correct read's supposed to be, primary one to two to three to four. Right. Uh, running back, here's the hole, see the cutback lane. So you can't really judge it. Like, yeah, there'll be huge chunk plays in those walkthroughs, but you're kind of told to, all right, tag him as he goes by, but right. don't trip him up. Like, Don't make a play on the ball, let him catch it. Don't make the contested catch and all those things Like on the other side of it. So it's hard to tell from that, but yeah, there's very little resistance in the beginning part of the practice, but it starts to ramp up truly when you get to team period or, or scouts versus scouts. Joe Sampson is with us. we got a couple comments on YouTube. I don't know if these are plant comments uh, <laughs> or fake. Uh, if it's Philip behind the glass, uh, it's coming up with pseudonyms. But Robert Dedrick says, really enjoying these lunchtime shows. Stephen, keep up the good work. Thank you, Robert. There we go. For tuning in, uh, Pirate2031 says, these shows are so good. Ooh. What's the schedule next week? i tell you what. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, that's a great question. I do know that um, Joe Sampson will be back next Friday. I will. Uh, unless he gets fired between now and the end of the show, which Love is time left. Which is anything is <laughs> possible. You never know. Uh, you know, given uh, some things going on, but hey, I, I think uh, <laughs> that's a little inside joke. But hey, Pirate Twenty Thirty One. What I can tell you for next week, all right? Joe's going to be here Friday. Mm. I'll actually be traveling to Michigan at that time, but we're going to record the show ahead of time. Um, Thursday, we're going to have Bobby Harward back. He's going to be back Thursday because we're having to bump him from Wednesday. Uh, to Thursday because Cliff Goblin is going to be in studio for the whole hour next Wednesday. I know it's not baseball season, but we're going to talk a lot of uh, off-season baseball stuff and and maybe get his thoughts on Michigan. Also, efforting to get uh, Macy O'Donnell, new sideline reporter, potentially on Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday's show, we'll see if we can get him in, former teammate and uh, position roommate of uh, Joe Sampson. Slots, baby. And uh, we're going to have Philip with us on Monday. We're going to have a Michigan beat writer from uh, from 24-7 Sports join us as well, as well. So there's an early look. Still piecing it together for next week, but there's uh, there's the early look at next week. All right. J- Jim Harbaugh is, is self-imposing. I guess Michigan is self-imposing a, a suspension for mm-hmm. the first three games, and that has gone final. It's been back and forth all offseason. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, Phil. Do we have the cut from from Mike Houston ready? Okay, we do. So let's play. Let's play Mike Houston's thoughts on Jim Harbaugh, his suspension uh, earlier this week from Tuesday. I don't know. This kind of went back and forth, and uh, I think it's kind of 
silly, to be honest. I mean, if you want to punish him, punish him, figure it out in the offseason. Quit going back and forth like this. So uh, I hope he is on the sideline. You know, it, he's going to coach throughout the week. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to make a significant difference one way or the other on game day. Um, he has a, a staff that's been with him for a while. His offense coordinator's been there. Uh, a couple of the guys on the offensive staff have been there. So, you know, they'll they'll have the game plan and, and I'm sure do a great job of running it. So, but, uh, you know, i just assume he'd be across the, across the field. There is Mike Houston. Says he would rather just go up against Jim Harbaugh. And I wouldn't expect him to say anything else on the record. Uh, and yeah. I, I don't know how much this is really going to impact the game, if at all, Joe. Uh, your thoughts, I guess as a former player, how weird would it be to have your coach coach you all week like Jim Harbaugh is going to do, but then on game day just not be a part of it? I, I think it's, it's a difficult thing to kind of look at because, in theory, your head coach – is not necessarily as big of a part of the game plan once you get to game day. He's not in and out with the sideline adjustments. He's not calling the plays if he's not like a true offensive play caller like a Lane Kiffin or one of those guys who has the sheet or Lincoln Riley. Um, but there's a presence. You, you kind of know he's going to call for you. He's talking to the ref. He's like, hey, this guy's been holding the whole night. You need to see him. He's got some contact going on with defense as far as receivers can't get open. So it's very interesting to see how the atmosphere will feel if it's more relaxed, if it's more kind of stuck up and stern because you're worried that you don't have that that leader with them. But I think it's kind of cowardly, if you if I may, because you know you've gone back and forth. You've said you've done nothing wrong. Like there's no issues you've done. Nothing's been one of those bad things. And all of a sudden they say, okay, like you're fine. Like there's nothing bad going on. And they're like, you know what? Maybe there's something we didn't tell you. Right. What if I sit out these three games myself and you guys just look the other way? And so it, it's kind of telling as far as, and I don't want to insinuate or pass judgment on any program, but from the outside looking in, it really does look like he's like, you know, there might be something going on. Maybe we'll just take this one on the on the nose here for the first couple games and kind of take a knee and run into the Big Ten conference games coming up. So I'm kind of torn with how I feel about it. And then as a, a player, like to me, if, if I'm East Carolina – I'm looking at it as, hey, Jim Harbaugh and Michigan are not worried at all about ECU, and yeah. I think it's UNLV and whatever game after that. Mm. So they're pretty much saying, hey, we can we can win this game. We don't need our head coach. We'll go ahead and let him serve the suspension. So to me, I would – and again, I'm trying to spin everything I can because I'm, I'm in the media. But like, I feel like in the locker room, you all have to use it as well, right, as extra motivation? Yeah, it's definitely extra motivation. This is the same program that last year ran out two different quarterbacks against uh, Hawaii, and I'm not sure the other game. And we're like, you know what, the preseason games – we're going to find our starting quarterback. We're going to see how they do under pressure. So this is a team that historically, especially in the last 10 years during the Harbaugh era, has not really cared too much about the big, bad Power Five and really just doesn't care about the non-Power Fives either. And they're just kind of, yeah, you know what? But, you know, App State did the same thing way back when, and we're still talking about that game. So I hope for Michigan's sake they respect their opponent, but also to the guys in the locker room, you know exactly what they're saying. Yeah, I think it becomes more of a factor maybe if East Carolina is able to keep the game close. Mm. And then if you're Michigan, that that maybe that doubt starts creeping in your head. Hey, we don't have our head coach to look look towards. And, and right. to me, like as I kind of see it as the team often takes the personality of the head coach. So like you you want your head coach to be stoic on the sideline, not yelling at the referees and losing his mind. And like mm -hmm. Coach Houston does a really good job of. Yeah, he'll get mad, but he's going to keep it, you know, calm for the most part. And I think ECU's team reflects that. So I think if ECU can keep it close, maybe if you get into the second half, then all of a sudden, you're like, well, we don't have hardball. 
uh, maybe things are just a little bit off today, and then it starts to trickle down from there. I, I did want to ask you, too, we know about uh, Coach Houston's pregame speeches. <laughs> What's it like being in a locker room when he's up in front of y'all, uh, giving one of those? You know. You know, as soon as he's like everybody up, he takes the hat off, and he tells you, he's like, I love you guys. Like, I love this bunch. Let's go. Expletive here. <laughs> Some tail. And and you just know, like, the intensity shifts. Like, he's telling you everything you've been hearing all in practice. Like, four quarters, it's a dogfight. It's a heavyweight battle. Who's going to win in the 10th round? And, and you know he's ready to go to war. The same way you are once you run through that smoke, like it's game time. And then you hear, I mean, if you're at home, you hear kickstart my heart. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, yeah. Right. Now it's time to go. And he's just stoic, calm, stone-faced. And you're like, oh, he's locked in. Like, he knows exactly what he's going to do. There's no worries or any kind of issues that he's like, yeah, maybe we're not. No, he knows. He is Joe Sampson. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll jump into our defensive preview. We'll go through each position, look at many of the transfers, talk about the returning guys. A lot of guys going to see bigger roles this year. We'll get into that on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors, 94.3 The Game. We'll be right back. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steven Igo. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? All right, welcome back into Hoist the Colors, August 25th, eight days away from kickoff. ECU, Michigan, hard to believe that we are this close. And next week will be game week. And we got week zero coming up, by the way. We'll get into that discussion later. Let's jump into the ECU defense. The people want to know about the pirate defense let me make sure we don't got any questions we got somebody says kind of unlike dana i guess he's talking about dana holgerson maybe we missed something there i don't know yeah i guess dana holgerson <laughs> used to talk crap about ecu so either way um all right defensive line this defense joe uh th- this is the one group that has ba- basically been here the whole time yeah and uh you've you've basically grown up with some of these guys mm-hmm. um so, I mean, we can get into the names. Chad Stevens, J.D. Lampley's now playing some defensive end. Uh, before, I guess before we get into kind of the, all the names individually, just your thoughts on this group and how much they are the backbone of this defense. I mean, it starts up front, and that's what every coach tells you, and you want to establish the run and stop the run, but it, it truly does stop up front. I mean, they've got some huge run stoppers, and we've heard Elijah Morris's name now for three years when he came in as a, a, a walk-on true freshman and, and started in that first game. And we were like, wow, like, where'd he come from? We knew, Fayetteville. Um, <laughs> Jason Shuford is another huge force just in the middle that is an immovable object as far as that goes. I mean, true two-gapper. And then Big Tay, I mean, he needs no introduction. We know what he is, the Joker. I mean, I've never seen a man squat that much weight and laugh about it, but that's just the kind of guy he is. So this this is truly like the backbone. And then the new guys with C.J. Mims and J.D. Lampley and all these other guys coming in are, are truly like establishing this defensive front that cannot be moved around, cannot be pushed around, cannot be stopped. So y'all call Tay Big Joker? We call him Big Tay. Uh, uh, he calls himself the Joker. The Joker. He's got okay. a Big Tay. Yeah. Big Tay. So, because he's he is always smiling and laughing. Always laughing. <laughs> so I, I feel like, and two, uh, he's always like body slamming running backs too in the yeah. games. Like, is that his thing now? That's, uh, that's his thing. I don't want him to get penalized for it, so I want him to be careful. But I think it was there was multiple games last year he was like picking dudes yeah, up, suplex the guy. <laughs> Ref comes over and is like, Coach Houston, gotta tell fifty six can't do that. And Houston was like, Listen, I'm not telling him. <laughs> It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, the ref should be relaying that message. Yeah. Um, just uh, want to get your take on kind of the versatility of this defensive line. Like, we've mm-hmm. seen Elijah Morris play nose tackle in the past, but he's kind of leaned out now, moving around. J.D. Lampley, 
almost looks like an outside linebacker this year. Yeah. He's lost a ton of weight. Um, but you still got the big guys inside. We talked about Deontay, Shuford. I know McIver's a little banged up right now. He's mm-hmm. going to play. C.J. Mims is a big boy. Chad Stevens is back on the edge. Eric Doctor has had a really good offseason. Uh, so your thoughts on kind of the – you know, we'll, we'll see Morse like line up inside. We'll see him line up on right. the edge. Same thing with Lampley. And those guys are always moving around. Yeah. I mean, they teach it, and the offense is the same way. We teach concepts. We don't teach positions. And Coach Tesh has done a really good job of that ever since he took over the D-tackles, uh, teaching stunts without letters. And what I mean by that is the nose and the tackle are synonymous. So if on one set of stunts the nose is supposed to loop out, he doesn't put the end. He just puts the stunt, and he's like, okay, whoever's there – whatever number, you have to know both sides. And Coach Dallas does a good job of doing it as well with those guys that kind of bounce around. And now J.D. Lampley's kind of doing that and and playing both of those. But they teach true defensive concepts in the T.E. stunts or the N.T. stunts or even the nose loop around with a double stunt in with a long stick and and all those different things that you kind of see from this defense because they move around so much, which is what Harrell tries to do and and keep these offenses off guard. But they, they truly do just understand everybody has a role and everybody needs to do everything at once in order to succeed so you were did you ever play the rush yes okay so you played the rush <laughs> and you played d tackle right so you yeah, played both I played it all played nose because i know we went through all the positions and, last week. and rush all on that line so, in a season actually that was so not to get too into the weeds as far as like what you know you are trying mm-hmm. to accomplish because i don't want to give away michigan's watching let's just say it right jim harbaugh is we know. here he's watching right now he's watching joey football he, he's probably mad about joey football <laughs> you know talking about him uh taking his own three-game suspension uh well-deserved comments by the way um so like the, the biggest difference between rush is obviously you're standing up yeah. on the, the edge mm-hmm. and you can drop into coverage more um like so take us through Jeremy Lewis, like, what's the, what's his biggest responsibility in most of those instances when he's trying to decipher coverage versus rush, or is he always does he have a play call he's got to stick? So to? it's a play call most of the times, but I mean, Jeremy is just so gifted in understanding because he's a former offensive guy when they're supposed to run, when they're supposed to pass, and, and kind of knows what they're supposed to do before they do. So he kind of has a little bit of freedom where he can check out of it and be like, you know what, like. The scoot the front left like I'm going to rush this one or or I'm going to drop into this but he's just his job description is to wreak havoc and he does a, a great job at doing that no matter where he is if he's lined up over the nose in a true stack like a 3-3 or if he's lined up in a wide 7 or a wide 9 if there's a tight end and like he, he just kind of wherever he is you know where he is Jack Powers does the same thing I mean we talked at length last year about like the kind of impact he was going to have special teams wise, but he's, he's a tremendous pass rusher and that's what he's going to bring this year. Just the two of them kind of tandem. And then once you put Chad with his hand in the dirt and his ability to drop back as a former linebacker also, there's just so much versatility in order to cover that running back coming out of the flat and man, or just the ability to drop in the middle hole and, and kind of, take the weight off of those linebackers who can drop into the hashes. And and that's really what's going to separate them this year. So I get asked all the time, what scheme does ECU run defensively? And I'm like, man, I've asked Blake Harrell, and I don't even think he knows. Because I, I, I guess I would term it as a 4-2-5. Yeah. Like a multiple 4-2-5. Because it's also a 3-4. Yes. Based upon like where the linebackers mm-hmm. are. It could also be a 3-3-5 if yeah. we needed to because the Sam goes out and he covers number two if it's 3 by one So it truly I mean, is multiple. Yeah, it's, it's true multiple front. And that's what he tells you. We have multiple different packages and all these different things. And you've seen the crazy exotic blitzes. Right that they roll out there and all of a sudden Sam Dank is lined up at nose guard and he's <laughs> running all the way around because he can. 
So it, it's just a multiple front. I mean, if you're looking for it in NCAA 14, I don't know if you're going to truly find right. this playbook. It's a lot, man. You'll do yeah. a lot. And uh, that's the thing I like most about it because, like, Lewis will be standing up but playing basically a true defensive end, or he'll be covering the slot in some, right. you know, instances. So it truly is four two five three four three three five. Like, it can mm-hmm. be all of that. All um, of them. So uh, the, the guy we got to talk about, the X factor to me is is Sam Sam Danka or Sam Danka Danka Danka. All right, six five two twenty. Like this yeah. guy, he looks, and everybody I bring out to practice, like all our interns, they're like, "Who is seven, man? Like that dude looks like a beast, and mm-hmm. he he has the potential to be one." So how do we get Sam Danka doing what we know he can do? Sam Danka is just a freak. And I don't say that lightly, but just his ability to move the, at the size he is. I mean, he is all of 6'5". He is a lean 220, but he does not look like he is a skinny guy by any means. Like, he's just – he's ridic- his twitch is ridiculous. I mean, they've lined him out in the wide nine over the tight end, like we said, to kind of rush that tackle and beat him to the spot. And there have been times where the tackle can't even get there. They've dropped him back into coverage, and he's so long and lengthy that he kind of defends as a corner, even though he's playing in space like a linebacker. He truly is like the X factor that Michigan and every other team needs to just circle and be like, how do we stop number seven from disrupting things, especially if you can get him on the field at the same time as Big Tay and Elijah Morris and Jeremy Lewis and even Taylor Jackson in the middle who can kind of cause some havoc with that too. Or when you blitz Tegan Wilk, all of a sudden Sam Denka can drop back and cover where he was. And, and that's the thing that people are kind of had question marks about, like who are these new kids coming in, and, and they're something. I mean, that's the thing is, like, Danko to me, no, he hasn't played a lot, but in terms of ceiling, yeah. you know, higher than, than many ECU defensive players in the past have mm-hmm. had, and uh, it's just a matter of how it all comes together. And, look, he'll make mistakes if he plays because all young players do. Right. And uh, it's just a matter of, to me – this defense will get into some of the new transfers and everybody, but they have so much more length and speed, and I think it's just a matter of how it all comes together. I got a couple questions. Robert, this is kind of good to ask while we're talking about the defensive front. Robert says, will Michigan focus on their run game more than they want to this year because of the coaching situations? He says transfer tackles center and unproven receivers. Specifically, basically he's asking, will they run more against ECU? And then Phil says, if I am Michigan, I am testing our passing D until we prove we fix the secondary, which if I'm Michigan, I'm going play action bomb first play, to be honest. Yeah, most likely deep shot. <laughs> I mean, I'm because I know EC is going to be geared up and stop the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's what they do. So, But this Michigan O-line, man, they got probably the best O-line in the country. Definitely the best O-line EC will play. So yeah. If it was anybody else, I would feel really good about ECU stopping the run. Just what, what what's kind of your gut feeling on this defensive front? We just talked about them really good, really deep, holding mm-hmm. up against multiple NFL guys. So the thing about our defense is, and people always say on paper we're not the largest, and, and the size difference is always what people look at when you stop the run. We move too much. Yeah. And the ability to move on the run and kind of get the nose into a three-tech on the run stops the guard from being able to call out something or catch a twist, and, and that creates havoc. And the easiest way to kill any zone play is penetration. And that's what ECU's defense does really well is they run over the heels, they get in the backfield, and, and the cutback kind of takes care of itself when you clean it up with a linebacker or two. So I look for Michigan to try and run the ball early. I wouldn't expect a ton of success early because of that big movement stuff, but if they can figure out like kind of how to scoop that and how to make those checks, it could cause a long game as far as the running game. But also, Michigan is not a pass-heavy team. 
in the first place. And, and J.J. McCarthy kind of showed that last year all the way up until the fourth quarter when they played TCU. Like, oh, you know, like let's just run the ball and run the ball and run the ball. And then if Blake Corum's back and healthy, I mean, he's going to be a, a dynamic guy in the backfield with the ball. So I, I lean to say that Michigan probably goes run first, but don't be surprised if late in the game they try and be like, okay, you know, maybe we need to start throwing the ball here. Like they're, they're kind of shutting us down. I remember last year the BYU game, that was the one team that was able to just line up and run the ball mm-hmm. consistently on ECU, and they're huge up front. Yeah. And they, I want to say they did some stuff differently. Like they came out in the pistol running the stretch, which mm-hmm. maybe ECU didn't expect uh, based on prior film. And, and you know, I, I'm curious how much does Michigan run the stretch because that's something App has had success against ECU in the past yeah. and BYU has. So I, I haven't dove into Michigan too much yet, but – um, is that a potential concern if they try to do that? They're they're not a huge stretch team yeah. in the past. Obviously, anybody can change their identity over an off season, but normally they're that uh, downhill power L inside zone split zone ISO. Uh, look for some tight end wham coming as far as that goes. Like that's truly their mo and their bread and butter is to run between the tackles as opposed to trying to get out wide. But like we said, they're inexperienced receivers could be great blockers on the perimeter, which can add a layer to the running game. Uh, look for some slip screen because that kind of feeds off of, of the running game itself. But uh, they're not traditionally a stretch team. Yeah. Obviously, BYU and App State in the past have been, and that's their bread and butter, and that's what they do to all teams. And East Carolina's kind of just had to play catch up because nobody else does that in our league and whoever's on right. our schedule. All right, let's get our second break in. We'll come back. We'll talk linebackers and secondary as well. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes! That was so good! On 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into Hoist the Colors on this Joey Football Friday. Eight days out. Eight days out. Joe Greeno. <laughs> It's almost here, man. Almost here. We're one day away from week zero. Uh, let's say, well, let's have that conversation real quick, and we'll continue uh, our ECU defensive rundown. So tomorrow is week zero, Joey, mm-hmm. and uh, on Thursday's program, Philip, who is producing today, and myself ranked the three things we were looking forward to most. Uh, and I, I guess I left out NASCAR. That's my fault. Uh, <laughs> I'm the only one who cares about NASCAR. I was a little upset that you let out golf. I think a lot of our listeners, at least Patrick's listeners, are big golf fans. There are a lot of golf guys around this area. And with it being the Tour Championship this weekend. It ain't on my radar, so it ain't on Hoist the Colors' (laughs) radar. There you go. Igo is the show. What Igo says goes, and I was wrong to question. Those are the rules. We're talking Seattle Mariners baseball, uh, only for myself, uh, not for my listeners. I I think I know one other Mariners fan in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, But uh, so, so... you can throw in it, those other events if you want to, Joe, but <laughs> or you could stick to the the original three: NFL preseason, uh-huh. Week Zero college football, MLB playoff race. Which I, you're a Yankees fan, may yeah. be kind of low on your list these days. So it's very look, low. How would you rank those three things as far as what you're looking forward to this weekend? Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Aaron Rodgers under center for the New York Jets on Saturday against the Giants. That'll be an exciting matchup. Uh, my brother played at Carolina, so we'll watch Michael Carter run between the tackles and do what he does and just magic with the ball. He's Houdini. Uh, so I guess that's one. Two is probably college football week zero because – College football. football is college football. Yeah, it's it's a church in the South. Um, I'm excited to see the Cotton Bowl losers, USC, 
beat up on San Jose State after losing to the American. That's right. right. We're back. Um, former ECU Pirate Elijah Robinson and Hawaii take on Vanderbilt. That'll be exciting. And then, I mean, it, it's going to sound crazy, but is there anything more fun to watch the Navy run the triple option to perfection like in the first play of the game against some big opponent because I can't wait to see them score a touchdown in Ireland off of a triple option and then all the fans are confused uh, and then yeah the MLB playoff race is probably uh, seven on my list of three because uh, the Yankees have been a dumpster fire a clown show any possible thing you can call them in the New York media that has been said on the Michael K show or anything else of its subsidiaries uh, bad baseball bad managing and bad general managing but that's a rant for another day the only thing better than your team being good is hearing your biggest rival with more than a month left in the season say yep it's over i do not have to watch the playoffs this year praying for the yankees to lose so they don't win their 28th world when's the last time this 1992 they lost 86 games that is the last time they lost 82 or more jeter came up as a rookie right or no that was uh no, it wasn't. Um, somebody else came up as a rookie, they said, the other day. So I'm going to need your Yankees to win some games for the Mariners. They got the yes. Astros, mm-hmm. the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays. Two different series against Toronto. In the most Yankees way possible, we'll probably win two of three against the Astros, lose all three to like the Tigers, and right. then drop two to the Blue Jays just to make it interesting for a half game for you guys. But you're only a game out on, uh, on Texas the now all yes. of a sudden. Yeah, yeah that was, mean, uh, The Rangers have imploded, and Houston decided to wake up and play baseball again. But The Rangers have all seven in a row and are still in first place for now. Yeah, Houston and Seattle, a game behind them in the West. Mm-hmm. Boston, Seattle's heating up. Yeah, Boston three and a half out of the wild card. Do they have enough, Phillip, to get there? Do you think know, they're, so? They're getting healthy at the right time, which is good. Uh, you know, they put up 17 on the Strohs yesterday. Yeah, so that, they, yeah that was good to see. But uh, I don't know. The good thing is we play some tough teams down the stretch, mm-hmm. and Boston plays their competition. They have played horribly against horrible teams this year and pretty good against good teams. Yeah, so. they play to their competition. I mean, their relief staff is really their issue. Yeah. And I, I don't. Corey Kluber's in the back half of the pen now, so I don't really. No, I think we DFA'd Corey Kluber. Oh, you did? I don't DFA even think him? he's on the roster anymore. Oh, wonderful news. Because if not. Houses were going to burn in Boston. Yeah, I think Winkowski is our back half of the pen. But the problem That's is this it. team, this team, <laughs> and he pitches well. When he pitches well, and a couple of those other guys, the team plays well. But the problem is when they're losing, it is always the pen. Yeah, it's I always. Mean, the yeah, pen. there's some days that they don't hit well, but still, it's like they live and die. By yeah, the Yoshida can go three for four. Verdugo can go two for four, and then all of a sudden, you guys are down seven to two because. I, I don't even Garrett Whitlock has decided just yeah. throw nothing but hey middle you end. can hate on anybody the Red Sox. not hate on my boy Garrett Whitlock <laughs> the Red now. Sox lineup can mash man they can when mash. they played Seattle I was like these dudes can hit but yeah Masa that bullpen Taka Yoshida the 30 yeah. year old rookie they can hit um, week zero alright so I mistakenly said this was an error on my part I said Jacksonville State was an FCS team which they were they are now FBS yes. did y'all realize that mm-hmm Found that the other, I had an argument with my friend the other day, actually. We were playing NCAA 14, and they were like FCS generic. And I was like, no, they're in the FBS now. And he was like, no, they're not. They've never been in the FBS. I was like, they moved up this so the, year. Is there, what, 132 teams now, there's, I guess? There's uh, even more than 134, I think. Who else moved up? Because uh, Conference USA added a bunch of schools. So yeah. Jacksonville oh, State, yeah. Tarleton State's moving up. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know when. And then... Um, Kennesaw State. Yeah, Kennesaw State moved to Tarleton FBS. State just became D1 like three years ago. Hey. There's too many FBS Cream teams, rises man. to the top. Yeah. Tarleton, <laughs> Tarleton State, part of that cream. <laughs> I uh, guess. 
Nothing what, but greatness. What uh, <laughs> any of these other matchups catch your eye? We talked about Navy Notre Dame. We'll be watching for obvious reasons. Yeah. Yeah, UTEP, Jacksonville State, UMass, New Mexico State, Ohio, San Diego State, kind of a sneaky good game. Hawaii, mm-hmm. Vanderbilt, you talked about Elijah Robinson at Hawaii, San Jose State, USC, and then FIU, La Tech is the 9 o'clock game. FIU, La Tech could be one of those games where we, we turned it on at 9 p.m. and we're like, all right, let's just put it on the background. Right. And now we're sweating a 48-45 overtime win because that's just the kind of game that Week Zero turns into. So don't don't be surprised with FIU's offense. I mean, they've been historically good as far as uh, in Week 1 games against the spread. So they're somebody to watch as far as opening up the playbook early. And then La Tech, obviously, we've known for years, has ties to the area as far as coaching staff. And, and look for them to also be some kind of offensive juggernaut in their conference. Joe, I do have one question. You mentioned the Hawaii-Vanderbilt game. I Last did. year, that game, they played Week Zero. Mm-hmm. It was 63-10. to 10. <laughs> Do the, is if the over under set at fifty three, does it get covered this time? Yeah, I hammered the over. Okay. No, that, no, no, no. I'm saying, do they? Do, will, oh, will Vanderbilt win by this, more than fifty three again? Ooh, that's difficult to say. I mean, there's a bunch of new coaches now at Hawaii, so, and they brought in a bunch of different transfers. They're the old staff from Nevada. Um, Vandy is the only favored by seventeen. Yeah, I was about to okay. say it's it's a. Low so line be, for SEC versus non-SEC. So but it should be closer than 63-10 to 10 is what we're hoping. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to be sure before I tuned in and it was 52-7. to 7. It, could, it could still be, but <laughs> no. it's also Vanderbilt. True. It is Vanderbilt. How do you, how do you uh, put any faith in Vanderbilt? How do you measure baseball? Vanderbilt yeah. without baseball? <laughs> A little Vanderbilt. They got construction going in their stadium now, which is they an do. interesting look. And they always say construction is a good thing, but not really when it's like right behind the stadium as you're playing a football game there. Yeah. Um, anyways, all right, let's get back to ECU football. And uh, but nice, nice little break up there. We had like our mid show, like side <laughs> segment there to kind of reset a little bit. We talked defensive front earlier with Joe Sampson. Let, let's transition now to kind of the back half. And we'll start with the inside linebackers. I wrote an article on Taylor Jackson uh, yesterday, I believe it was, or mm-hmm. maybe the day before I published it. You know, fourth-year guy. He's been behind guys like Bruce Bivens, Aaron Ramsour, uh, Miles Berry, Xavier Smith, and now it's his time, and it feels like he's due for a breakout year. He's a dog, man. I, that's that's the quote right there. Snippet, post it, whatever you got to do. Taylor Jackson's a dog. I mean, he is one of those guys that as soon as he kind of reads the play, he knows where it's going before the running back does. He sees cutback lanes. He understands where the hole's supposed to be. He understands where he's supposed to be to not overrun it. He, he's just so physically gifted and, and just mentally gifted as far as just understanding plays and understanding developments and pursuit. I mean, he just runs everything down. So for the Pirate fans that are worried about that, look no further. Taylor Jackson's going to run it down in the back half, and you're going to see him run 45 yards down the field to stop somebody and be like, where where did he come from? Uh, and Coach Harrell has talked a lot about Taylor Jackson and Zakai Barker being like the film junkies and yeah. the IQ guys. Mm-hmm. Z Bark watches as much film as I did, and that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like those two guys, I don't know, like Zakai was just an absolute tackle machine in high school. Yeah. And I know he, he messed up his knee last mm-hmm. year. He's been a little in and out of the lineup this preseason, but like he's a guy that I don't think is going to get a lot of pub and then kind of come out of nowhere. I don't yeah. know if it'll be this year or next year, but I think he's going to be that same tackle machine in time. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. He looked great in the spring when he when he felt healthy, and obviously you can't put anything too much weight into spring. It's vanilla. You're running base 
packages versus base formations, but he truly is just all over the field. And you saw, I mean, he made four or five tackles in the spring game. And you're like, where did he come from? And it was the back half of the field. So I, I'd look for that too. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. It could happen next year, as we said. could be late this year, like week eight all of a sudden, and he's just kind of turned it on for everybody and running everything down. And a couple of transfers added to the mix. Taekwon King, a big kid out of North Carolina A&T. Mm-hmm. B.J. Davis, a long pass coverage type inside linebacker trying to address last year's issues. Uh, he had like five picks at South Carolina yeah. State last year. He's a ball hawk. And then Michael Edwards is a second-year transfer. Came in, we were talking earlier, played mm-hmm. Sam, and now has moved inside. So I think all the all three of these guys are going to play. Does anything stand out uh, with them? Uh. Look for B.J. Davis on third downs. Um, look for a Miles Berry kind of long, lengthy pass cover guy who can line up on the slot, who can kind of fill in those voids where the corners can't play because they're deep, covering a, a go route or something. He's he's long, he's lengthy, he defends really well in the pass game. Uh, Taekwon King is that downhill guy you're hoping for. He is going to knock your helmet off. He is going to fill every possible power gap you can think of with those runs and all those different things so i guess that's really it i don't know too much about uh rah rah come from unc um it'll be interesting to see how he kind of fits into everything i don't have a ton of knowledge based on what he did at carolina or anything like that so i can't give you my my take on that so rah rah from what i've seen this preseason he's been basically running as the the starting sam Mm -hmm. him and kingston mckinstry a guy who's been yeah one a one b kind of thing yeah Mm -hmm. they've both been uh repping a lot there and i you know the way i kind of see it is rah rah is more of your pass coverage guy especially laterally like if they're going right. to try and throw the you know the, the the running back screens to the sidelines or the short stuff to the sidelines like rah rah can erase that he's mm-hmm. a four four guy so fast uh, and then kingston's more like a downhill yeah you know, run stopper fill type. the fill the void kind of thing yeah so i think those mm-hmm. two guys will complement each other well and then you kind of play matchup ball um you know jordan huff He's worked at safety. He's worked at nickel. So we'll talk about the safeties real quick. Tegan, Tegan Wilk uh, and Julius Wood are back mm-hmm. as kind of your starters there. And uh, then a lot of depth behind them. Devin King, Omar Rogers, Dontavious Nash, another transfer along with Omar and the Ty mm-hmm. Moss. So um, I really like the safety group, man. Yeah, I really do too. I think Julius Woods is one of the best safeties in the nation. I have long said that. I said that since he came in. He is everything and more you want in a safety between coverage uh, downhill run stop and just overall playmaking ability. I mean, he is everywhere. He is anything you need him to be. He is everywhere you need him to be. And that's that's kind of the difference between him and some of these other safeties. It's like he's just where he needs to be at all times. Tegan's a great run stopper. He fills the void really well, which is what we call he runs the alley, kind of stops running backs from making moves in space. He just kind of hits them before they can. Um, I'm really excited about Omar Rodgers. He had some great tape at Elon. I mean, he's going to be an older guy who's going to bring some veteran presence into that back half. So that, that'll be exciting itself as well. Huff is kind of an unknown. He had some great tape at Georgia Tech, obviously got hurt, so we haven't gotten to see a lot of what he can do yet. I know that he works his butt off, and he's worked his butt off in rehab, and he, he's never been outworked in the weight room, but I don't know how it's going to translate to playing safety as opposed to corner or what he's going to kind of find his void in in this defense. The good news is you got a lot of bodies back there, so you can kind of rotate <laughs> them in and out depending on the situation. Uh, corner... Heard, I've heard a ton about Siobhan Revel this offseason, 6'2", 180, 
played special teams last year, played mm-hmm. a lot in the bowl game. So so the corner room has basically been entirely reset. I know yeah. Re- Revel and Isaiah Brown Murray are back, but they didn't really play a whole lot Not last year. You know, Balik Fleming's gone. Jawan mm-hmm. Powell's gone. Apri Washington's gone. Demel Hickman's gone. gone. Yep. Uh, Steve Ellis and his barking is gone. <laughs> uh, and the shark mentality, I guess, is gone. I haven't heard a whole lot about the sharks this, this offseason. No, uh, it's not a ton of shark mentality. I mean, obviously, the, the OGs know that the sharks never die. That's right. what Ellis used to always tell us. Shark stops swimming, he drowns. Um, but the, the new corner believes in the seatbelt. Um, maybe I'm not hip enough to that. I mean, I know belt. a little bit. Yeah, it's a seatbelt like you're strapped. Okay. Um, strapped up. So that's that's the new thing they'll do. And, and these guys kind of live by that. I mean, Isaiah Brown Murray is going to be one of those guys to kind of take that next step. And he covers really well. He plays in your, your hip pocket, as we like to call it. So he's half a yard behind you and knows if you're coming back to the ball, if you're dropping out of the ball, where you're breaking. Siobhan Revel's a long, lengthy corner. And we, we saw that a little bit in the bowl game. Like, he's just – deflection city i mean you throw something that you think is a safe ball for a receiver and he's got four fingers on it and now it's on the ground um there, there's a couple unknowns with with those two as far as that goes and then we've got two or three corner transfers and yeah. I mean, jonathan jones is going to be a, a huge asset from campbell played a good bit he's long he's lengthy he's fast man like he's fast fast like he just moves well. He's quick. He's twitchy. And that's what you need in that cornerback room, playing some of these faster receivers in the American. And then, obviously, we know that Tamir Brown came from Carolina. So he can be somebody also who can kind of spell those two that have been here. And Isaiah's a little bit of a shorter corner, so you can put him at nickel and some goal line stuff and, and kind of get Tamir out there and play with a little more length. I think Tamir is going to play. I'm interested because – They've been working Jones and Revel at uh, boundary corner. Mm -hmm. And to me, like, they may be your two best cornerbacks. You know, do you want to split them up on game day? We'll see how they approach that. I I know, again, you know, it's kind of interchangeable, and we've seen that in practice. So uh, the other guy to watch for, Antoine Jackson. Again, 17-year-old freshman, but I've heard he's uh, he's a pretty good coverage corner. I don't know if you've heard yeah. anything yet. Uh, just Any expectations for a 17-year-old freshman? I've heard some flustered receivers yeah. just in my uh, my conversations and such. He's, he's a gifted guy. He's got uh, great coverage skills, as you mentioned. He's a great man coverage corner, which for those of you who are watching at home is a little different than zone because you kind of have to uh, – play the mirror which is what coach lynch used to always refer to it as is you kind of drop and watch their hips and see when they sink if you sink and it's very difficult to do so to be 17 in the age he is and kind of have that uh, frame set and that knowledge point where he needs to kind of okay this guy's breaking here this guy's breaking here i need to match is, is really good for him and he'll kind of develop more and more i don't expect him to be a huge component of the defense early on but look for him to spell some people in, in some games and kind of get some more experience maybe some special teams and stuff and let him develop i think he's one of those guys he'll, he'll play in spots early in the year and if he makes a player two then yeah then, then you he, decide yeah mm-hmm. um i kind of look at this corner we'll take a quick break in a second uh this corner room to me i see more man coverage potential if it all breaks out. I know Siobhan Revel's been playing more man. Like, in the past, ECU's played a lot of zone on the back end. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they're going to be able to do some different things. Just your thoughts on that, if it if it works out to where they think they can play more man. How does that affect the defense? Coach Harrell loves to bring pressure, and when you bring pressure, a lot of times you have to play man in that back half because you're kind of down a man or, or kind of what, what you'd want to be if you're dropping five instead of dropping six. And, and that's really where Harold kind of finds his bread and butter. So if he can play four in the back half and man and blitz seven, I mean, it's hard for a quarterback to get the ball off anyway. So there's not a ton of huge chunk play opportunities for them. So look 
for them to kind of bring even more pressure than he likes to bring, which is wild to say for a Coach Harold <laughs> defense, but that's that's going to be the kind of consequences, I guess is the best way to put it for other offenses, is if you can let them play man on you, you're not going to throw the ball on your back. All right, let's get our final break in. Joe Sampson, Joey Football Friday, Stephen Igo here. We'll be right back. Hoist the colors, 94.3 the game. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back in. Got a few minutes on this Friday edition. Wrapping up the week, it's a Joey Football Friday. Almost forgot our lock of the week. We got to review last week's. Mm. Somebody had anytime touchdown holding Aylers Keaton Mitchell, and I think it busted. It did bust. I believe in the boys, but it did bust. So, uh, good thing I'm not a bookie. <laughs> Hey, we're gonna, offering betting advice. But uh, if you if you've learned anything from playing football, if you get knocked down, you get back up and Gotta try get again. Back up. So we're gonna try again. I, I went with the safe lock of the week that it would be a much cleaner, perfect scrimmage, and it basically sounded like it was. Mm. Quarterbacks bounce back. A lot of you know. I think Coach Houston referred to it as clean, a clean scrimmage, nice clean scrimmage. To favorite word to describe scrimmages. Nobody got hurt. We yep. got what we needed to get done. Clean. clean. No big, no big turnovers. At least we're told we're all locked out. So Joe may have the scoop, but he's not telling me if he does. <laughs> uh, our lock of the week is presented by Anson Belt and Buckle. Are you game day ready? Visit AnsonBelt.com backslash ECU and check out their great collection of holeless belts including ECU officially licensed buckles, Anson Belt and Buckle, the official belt of ECU Athletics. We just saw the sweet Mason Garcia Anson Belt commercial, so check that out. It's on uh, Instagram, on Garcia's Instagram, along with Anson Mm -hmm. Belt. So we've got a couple minutes left. Uh, My lock of the week is Jacksonville State, and their first game as FBS will beat UTEP. Okay. That is my uh, week zero lock of the week. This is uh, somewhat in, impromptu because we did not rehearse a lock of the week, Joe. So give me yours if you if you got one. Uh, my Anson Belt lock of the week is going to be Louisiana Tech wins and the overheads. There you go. Louisiana Tech FIU. He's expecting points. Next week, next Friday, we'll have our uh, our lock of the week. And I guess we'll, we'll try and make it East Carolina related. The real question is... Yeah. Are we going to pick ECU to cover the Michigan spread? I think it's like 35 now. And maybe I'm being a homer, but I think the closer we get, the better I feel about ECU covering. I don't mm-hmm. know if you, you have any early thoughts on the game yet. Uh, it's still too early to tell yeah. as far as the offenses go. And, and the Harbaugh situation will be its own kind of caveat to see how it plays out late in the week. Right. So we'll have some thoughts there next week again. We got Cliff Goblin scheduled for – Wednesday, working to get Macy O'Donnell on. We got the the coaches show, uh, which will not be a part of this show. We'll have it at Tiebreakers on Monday night on 94.3 The Game at 6 o'clock. Myself and Patrick Johnson will be hosting, talking to Coach Houston on Monday night, so tune in for that. Well, our, our newest... Uh, weekly segment with Joey Football. It's two weeks in, you still you still, still have a kicking. job. Still have a job. <laughs> so uh, you'll be here next week, man. But I appreciate the insight. I know we've gotten a lot of good feedback. A lot of people love this stuff. So uh, looking forward to the season, man. Almost here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That is Joe Sampson. Philip Pilkington has been producing behind the glass. Appreciate Philip. I'm Stephen Igo. We'll talk to you next week. This has been Hoist the Colors, 94.3 The Game.
This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back Monday with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 the game.